0: started on our continuing study in 1 John. Lord our God and God of our fathers, we are so grateful that our salvation rests not on us, but on what Messiah Yeshua Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is clear, and it's a clarion call to us to live our lives uh both faithfully lovingly and courageously and lord god even that we cannot do without the power of your holy spirit granting us to uh, to live a godly life thank you for the privilege of studying your book thank you for the privilege of studying in particular first john we thank you for your servant the great apostle john uh his faithfulness and his just overabounding love for for all his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for our friends here at Bloomfield Hills Baptist Church for sharing these facilities with us. Please help me to teach and help us all to be your Talmudim, your disciples this evening, as it were, sitting at your feet, learning of you and drawing near to you. We pray these things, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. All right. All right, and welcome to Paula. Uh, I don't know where Paula is watching from, but welcome Paula and Donna is watching. That's Donna who's normally up there keeping things rolling for us. Um, We've got such a great crew here at Shema of people just taking on various tasks and doing stuff. And it's really wonderful. All right. Okay, so uh, let's do this. Let's, we're going to do a quick read-through of uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, kind of just reviewing what, um, what Rabbi Jerry was teaching last week. Uh, 1 John 3, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. It's like saying, behold, I mean, Consider. I mean, think about this, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. Didn't just save us, calls us his beloved children. Didn't just rescue us and say, gee, thanks for making me go through all these measures to rescue your sorry tuchus, right? (laughs) He calls us his children, he loves us. And such we are, children of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Well, right there, that gives lie to this whole claim that you hear from time to time. Oh, we're all children of God. No, we're not. You know, you become a child of God, according to John, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah and are born again, right? Uh, He gave... To as many as believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So we're not all children of God just by virtue of having been born. You need to be born again. And it says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We've seen this theme throughout this letter, and we're going to see it more tonight. This contrast between the world and the saints. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. The ways of this world and the ways of God and his kingdom and how we ought to be. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We couldn't see him just as he is in these mortal bodies, we'd be disintegrated in an instant just in in the presence of that kind of infinite holiness. We can't begin to fathom that. So we're not what we're going to be. And we we haven't seen him, but when we see him, when he appears, we will see him as he is. I could go off on one of my soapboxes about how I wish people wouldn't try to paint pictures of Jesus. You know, Um, I can't wait to see how wrong we all got it, you know. Um, But I really wish people would have uh, kept that idea of let's not try to draw pictures of the eternal realm. Um, But this is good news, right? We will see him as he is and we will be like him. Verse three, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Oh, well, you know, we're saved by grace. I I don't have to try. (laughs) We are expected to live holy lives. Are we going to screw up? Yes, as surely as I'm sitting in front of you, we are at times going to screw up in one way or many ways. We're not excused for that. We simply need to repent, ask him to forgive us, and as he is so faithful to do, picks us up, dusts us off sets us to walking again this time hopefully a little wiser a little better Um, verse three again everyone who has this hope do you hope to see messiah do you hope to be there in the kingdom of heaven if your hope is in him purify yourself even as he is pure take measures Verse four, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know, John has, and there's a couple of times where he'll simply say, whoever sins is not born of God or something like that. And what you need to, this is one of those, sometimes you have to look at that word sin and determine the case uh, of it. Um, which, which case in the Greek is, is it? Because it may not be, you messed up at a point in time. It may be sin as an ongoing way of life, depending on the Greek verb there. Um, But here, the English accounts for it. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness as a lifestyle. Not, I messed up, oh great. Now Now there's no hope for me. Can you imagine if, if there was no more hope the first or second or third time we screwed up. By the way, I want to tell you that at the heart of the book of Romans is this very idea. If God was done with Israel just because they messed up, then we would have no confidence, no assurance of our salvation. Because the minute we screw up, that by the way is a, a ridiculous paraphrase of the heart of Romans right god God does not break covenant; He keeps his covenant, and I wish covenant theologians would get that because they're the ones who tend to say, "Oh, God's done with the Jewish people, He's done with Israel, like if he was done with Israel and the Jewish people, you'd think they ripped out several pages of Romans to come up with that. I suppose they just ignore it um, but that's at the core of it all right i'm I'm off on a I went off on a rabbit trail. All right. Verse five. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Jesus didn't come to give us a nice example. Jesus didn't come to be, you know, our heavenly wish dispenser. He came. He tells us he appeared in order to take away sins. The second time he comes will have nothing to do with taking away sins. That was his first coming. And we are right now, and those of you watching, you know, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, this is your time because this is the only time you have. When he appears the second time, it is too late. It is too late. Um, Now is the time. Today is the day. And in him there is no sin. This is in direct contradiction to these false teachers that had arisen in the midst of these congregations. Uh, They didn't even believe that original sin was a real thing. They thought it was just some kind of made-up construct to make people feel guilty or what have you. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. What did I tell you a minute ago? It doesn't mean if you mess up, that's it. The, the, The 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 case here is an ongoing sinning as a way of life, as, as though indifferent to the idea of holiness. So no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins, again, living that way, has seen him or knows him. Little children... Make sure no one deceives you. It's these false teachers that have been coming in. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And now we have a repetition to reinforce this. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. To take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, it does not mean that we're not going to mess up, that we're not going to sin one way or another at various times. But what we must not do is tell ourselves, oh, well, that's okay. Because, you know, he made atonement. So if I mess up, it's okay. It isn't okay. Repent, confess it, turn from it, and walk with him again. Um, This is describing, um, I guess I would call it a cavalier attitude towards sin and a cavalier attitude toward the holiness of God. We cannot afford that. Uh, Verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious, Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And that's the transition verse into what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about what love is and absolutely isn't. Just in the course of uh, teaching through this. Let me take a moment and uh, uh, also welcome Wayne, who's also in North Carolina, Susu. Detroit. Heather is watching. Hopefully Aaron as well. Um Wayne said you have uh, you are a, a great congregation. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, I, I I'm I'm biased, but I, I love our congregation. Uh Jennifer is watching. Uh Mary Melissa is watching uh from Chris and Melissa. Oh, Chris and Melissa in Grass Lake. Peggy is watching. Um Peggy says, replacement theology gets me very upset. Yeah, You and me both, sister. All right, so let's, uh, let me uh, do just a brief, even though I did an introduction, a brief introduction to the section we're now going to take up. Chapter 3, as we've already seen, contains a series of contrasts or conflicts. The contrast between righteousness and sin, the conflict between good and evil, and between love and hatred. And underlying all of these things is that ancient conflict between the evil ways of this world ever since the fall and the ways of God's kingdom and God's ways. This ancient conflict. God's ways are ways of love, and that should characterize our ways. If we're Living in him, if we belong to him, we should imitate him because that's what children do. They imitate their parents who they love. Do you remember that commercial from back when we were kids? We um, were kids, father and a son walking along the nature trail. There's a little creek and they're having a nice father Sunday. Like father, like son. The father picks up a rock and skips it across the water. The son, little kid, picks up a rock and throws it. Like father, like son. Then they sit down by a tree and the father lights up a cigarette. And it says, like father, like son. There was a whole big campaign to get people to quit smoking. Children imitate their parents. And sometimes in embarrassing ways. um, I've heard a couple of times people I know their little kid said some kind of expletive, and they're like, oh yeah, they're listening to us. Okay? Now that's not my point. My point is, if we are children of God, we should imitate him. He loves. He meets needs. Okay? So we want to do that. It should characterize our behavior. The world has no clue, however, what love is. Tina Turner has no clue, and what love has to do with it. And uh, the world has no clue what love is. A uh, foreigner, remember that song, I Want to Know What Love Is? No, he wanted to know what romance feels like, you know, enduring um, The world has no clue. And so part of what we're going to consider tonight is the proper biblical definition of love, what it is and what it absolutely isn't. So now let's come to verse 11. We've made that transition. You know, if you, uh, if you don't practice righteousness, you're not born of God. And if you don't love your brother, you're not born of God. Hello to Bonnie and Patience. How can I be following? I didn't, okay. Apparently, oh, because, well, yeah, forget it. <laughs> I never claim to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. That's all I can tell you. Verse 11, let's go here. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Okay, now you know me. I like, I like the inductive method of study. When you read a passage, you should ask questions of the passage. And when he says, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the beginning of what? Anyone? Okay, so let's take a poll here that we have the gospel. Anybody else? The beginning of time. time. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, let's ask this question. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning. The beginning of this letter could be, because he's talked about it all the way through. The apostles' preaching, right? The apostolic teaching, Um. Certainly, that there's a good argument for that. Yeshua's teaching, right? I I give you a new commandment, and yet it's not a new commandment that I give you that you should love one another. Yeshua's teaching. I'm going to... How about Yeshua's resurrection? Now that he... Once he's risen from the dead, that is God's seal of approval on his life, his ministry, and his teaching. How about... The day of Pentecost, the birth of Messiah's holy community on earth. All of those are legitimate ways of looking at this, but I don't think John had all of those in mind. So let me ask a question. How far back in scripture does loving one another go? Let me put it another way. Can anybody tell me where in the scripture it says, "Love your neighbor as yourself"? And I'm not talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Genesis. Does it? it does we're in Genesis, and the Shema is in Deuteronomy. It's neither in Genesis nor in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus. The book that everybody loves to ignore. <laughs> Leviticus 18.17, I believe it is. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, I am the Lord your God. Let me make sure that I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's Leviticus 18.17. I've gotten things wrong before. No, Leviticus 17.18 then? Let's see. Uh, no, 19.18. 19.18. Uh, 1918. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 19, eight, 1918. I think I was thinking of 1817. No, 1718. Eight, yeah, 1718 about not getting tattoos. No, I, I don't know. 18, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so you could argue and you would be making a a, a decent case if you argued that the message that you have heard from the beginning means all the way back to the beginning of Israel as a nation, all the way back to God's dealings with Abraham. Um, so now, um. Nancy, did you have another? I've just been thinking the beginning is another name for Jesus, too. Beginning. Okay. For this is the message which you have heard from the mouth of the Alpha and the Omega, you know, that you should love one another. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to suggest that one is more right than the other, but the fact is that because that message to love one another is woven throughout the word of God... It really doesn't matter where you first picked up on it. It's been there all along. Uh, Now, doesn't saying that we should love one another seem just a bit obvious? Doesn't it seem a bit obvious? Love one another. By the way, the Apostle John was known for... Being being a man of not so many words, but when he would be asked to say something, he would say the same thing. Children, love one another. He was known for saying that. Um, so if it does seem to us a bit obvious, maybe we ought to ask why it has to be repeated. why Why we had to get it from Moses in Leviticus 19. Why we had to get it throughout the prophets. Why we had to get it from Messiah himself, why we had to get it from the apostles, why again and again. Shouldn't it be enough that there's one place in scripture where it says love one another and it's like, well, I believe the scripture, therefore no, we need to hear it a bunch because we forget a bunch. It is in our fallen nature to forget a bunch to lose focus, to get our priorities screwed up. We fight against those things. As believers, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us walk with the Lord, to help us not lose focus, to help us love one another. But it's still a day-to-day struggle, isn't it? And everything in this world is fighting against that. You've... We, we have some new people, but some of you have heard me tell this example before, like the moving walkways in an airport. I love those moving walkways when I'm trying to get somewhere because I can hustle and it's adding speed to my hustle. Um, but imagine you're trying to go this way and you're on one of those moving walkways that's going this way. And that's what it's like trying to walk with the Lord in a fallen, satanically controlled world that is under a curse. It's like everything is pulling you this way and you're trying to walk this way. Which means you got to keep walking just to make any progress at all. Because the minute you decide you're just going to rest and cruise, you're going to be pulled back. That's what it's like. Um, Is there something deeper that John is alluding to when he says that we should love one another? Because it does seem kind of obvious. When you're reading, for example, in Proverbs, and it says, um, it is not good to condemn the righteous and vindicate the wicked. It's like, duh. You know, it's so obvious that you just know that there's another reason that that's there. And usually it's that You can tell by a person's conduct whether they're righteous or wicked. The conduct reveals what's in the heart. So sometimes the things that seem obvious in Scripture is like, why did he need to say that? There's a reason. There's a reason for that. Um, And I think John is going to get to that shortly. Um, We're going to talk about love. What is the biblical definition of love as long as we're Still on verse 11. What's the biblical definition of love when it says, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another? So love, what love are you talking about? Okay, good. Pete asked a good question. There's more than one Greek word for love. There's phileo, filial love, brotherly type love. There's eros. Right? Romantic, um, sexually intimate type of love. There's agape, um, love that sacrifices for the well-being of another. Right? There's, there's different words for love. Um, this is agape. We are called to agape. And agape love is not something that has anything to do with your feelings at all. Um, there may be somebody that you can't stand. They annoy you to no end. Maybe they even hate you and they've, right, they've gone out of their way to make your life miserable, but there they are on the side of the road and they got a flat tire. And you pull over and you help change the tire. You're also going to probably change their life. See, that's love. Um, doing something for someone that has that specific need. Apart from your feelings. So the biblical definition of love in this regard, the kind of love that we are called to, seeks the well-being of others. Is not looking for you know, a favor in return. Is not looking for any kind of remuneration. No expectation, not even the expectation of reciprocity. Love says that person needs this, and and I'm going to meet that need. Completely apart from your feelings. All right, now let's go to verse 12. We could probably talk about this for a long, long time. All right, verse 12. So we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. By the way, I want to welcome Dottie, uh, who's watching with us. We've got 26 people watching. That's really nice. Okay and Sarah in Tampa, Florida, my friend Simon in uh, the Washington DC area. All right. Um, Now what a contrast, Cain as the epitome of evil. Now, there have been many murderers across history. There have been mass murderers across history, in recent history. So why does John reference Cain? Why not Pharaoh or Herod or any of a number of ancient murderers? Uh, Why not Haman? Um, Why does he reference Cain? true that Cain and Abel were brothers, but I think the the expression brother as it's used here in 1 John has to do with within the community of faith, not not a literal blood brother, although that could be um, included. But um, I think it's because Cain was the first murderer. He is the what do you call it? Not a prototype, but you know the, fir- the first example, the exemplar of m- hatred and murder. He's the first one. And how many generations from Adam and Eve to Cain? One. W- literally, in the very next generation, you have your first murder. That's how quickly sin uh, spread its tentacles into humanity. Um, so I think it's because Cain is the first, um, and it's so early on, it's shocking, right? It's shocking. Uh, What was the series of events that led Cain, led to Cain murdering Abel? John asks the question and answers it, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his own deeds were evil, his brothers were righteous. But what were the series of events that led to Cain murdering Abel? Well, At one point, they each brought an offering to the Lord. And God looked with favor on Abel's offering and did not look with favor on Cain's offering. And there are two schools of thought on that. I'm not here to say one is right and the other is wrong. Could be a bit of both, but um, one school of thought says that it was already somehow understood that God required blood as an offering. But not all offerings involve blood. There are grain offerings, fruit offerings, there's all kinds. And the Torah doesn't exist yet. (laughs) So that's off the table. But some will argue that uh, Cain's offering of some fruit was unacceptable because God required blood. Okay, that could be legit. The other is that when you look at the description of the offerings, it says Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. It says Abel brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. You get the sense that Cain brought some fruit. Abel brought the best of his flocks. So perhaps it wasn't what was in the offering as much as what was the attitude in bringing the offering. Cain seemed to have done it in a rather perfunctory way. Abel put his heart into it. Those are the two schools of thought. And I'm not here to say one is right, one is wrong. But this is the series of events. God did not look with favor on Cain's offering. Cain gets upset about that. His whole countenance changes. And God talks to him. God had a little conversation with him. Now, I, I have had a few very rare occasions in my 40 years in walking with the Lord where I, I really sensed that he was speaking directly to me. You, you will Those of you who know me, I do not walk around going, oh yeah, God was telling me this, or yeah, God was telling me that. That is not me, and I frankly don't like loose talk. A lot of times people say, oh, yeah, God told me this. And what it was is an idea that came into their head. And they assume that every idea they have is God telling them. And I've heard some pretty boneheaded things that supposedly God was telling people. But God had a conversation with Cain. God is still interacting with humanity very directly. He says, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't, right, he warns him, sin is crouching at the door. And sin wants to have you, but you must master it, right? God, God showed up and talked to Cain. Didn't matter. Once God went away, Cain is still stewing in resentment why God accepted his brother's offering and not his and hated his brother for it. And as soon as they were alone out in the field, nobody around. He killed them. Cain was the first murderer on planet Earth. And I think that's why John uses his, him as the quintessential example. Yeah, Linda. Didn't know who God was? Oh, yeah. Cain knew who God was. Cain experienced God's presence in some way and still turned around and murdered his brother. But if you think about it, remember, mankind fell because Satan in eternity past had already fallen, had already been expelled from heaven. And um. His, his aim was to bring mankind down with him. We were the pinnacle of God's creation. I mean, in this incredible, beautiful, magnificent world, um, filled with so much beauty once you get out of downtown, you know, filled with so, so much beauty, we were the pinnacle of his creation. And Satan hated that wanted to destroy what God had done and took us down. And so what Cain did was imitating, he was just imitating now his father. We we want to imitate our father. Cain imitated his father. And it says here in verse 12, Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. You know what you won't find anywhere in 1 John chapter 3? Or let me expand it out a little bit. You know what you won't find anywhere in 1 John? Wait, let me expand a little farther. You know what you won't find in any of the epistles? Wait, let me expand it a little farther. You know what you won't find anywhere in the New Testament? Wait, let me expand it a little farther. You know what you won't find anywhere in the entire scriptures? Is this idea that there's a third neutral way? That's what you won't find anywhere in the Word of God. A third way. Oh, you know... You know, I think Jesus is all right, and I, I, you know, certainly don't want to serve the devil, but you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into all this Jesus stuff. I don't want to get all religious or whatever. Um, there is no third way. Saying no to Yeshua is saying no to his father who sent him. And I don't know about those of you who have children. Somebody disses your kid. How are you going to feel about them? There you go. Uh, So he tells us, Cain's deeds were evil, his brothers were righteous. See, this is how it plays out in a fallen world. It's not live and let live. Evil never wants to live and let live. Evil wants to turn anything good into more evil. It's never, hey, would you help me up? It's, I'm pulling you down. This is why people want to invite you to participate in their sin with them. They don't want to be elevated. They want to feel better about themselves by saying, see, even this guy did it too. Telling you. All right, let's go on. Verse 13. Actually, verse 13, part A. (laughs) I got to get back there because I I went to uh, Leviticus. So give me a second here. Okay. All right. No, just verse 13. Short verse. A lot to talk about. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. Really? Um, Okay, I am going to get on a soapbox for just a second. So the 29 people, you guys watching, you guys, you're stuck with me. I'm going to get on a little soapbox for just a minute. Why would we expect the world, and by that, again, John doesn't mean this beautiful world in which we live. He means the ways of this world, the system that it operates by, which is satanic. Why would we expect the world to like us, let alone love us? Why would we expect to have the world's accolades? Heck, um, we're not respected in West Bloomfield, you know? Or if you want to try an experiment, you know, go for, if you're talking with a Jewish person anywhere around here, and they say, "Oh, where where do you go?" And you say, "Congregation Shema Yisrael." They I, "I haven't heard of that." You say, "Oh, we're a Jews for Jesus congregation." Do not expect accolades. Do not expect, "Oh, that's really lovely." If you get, oh, that's interesting, what does that even mean? Then at least you have an opportunity to talk about what you believe. But um, this is why, by the way, I don't take my title very seriously. Yeah, I'm Rabbi Glenn, but I don't take the title seriously. People call me Glenn all the time. I don't go, oh, you better use my title. I don't take myself seriously, because if you were to ask Rabbi whatever at the Bethel or... The, the Shir sheer Shalom or any of the synagogues around here they would tell you if they even know who I am probably don't but if they knew who I was to say that guy's no, I'm not even a Jew and tell me he's a rabbi he's not even a Jew, why? because I believe in Jesus he didn't go to any of our yeshivas well yeah you wouldn't let me <laughs> because I believe in Jesus as the messiah which is a very Jewish thing, by the way, but that's an aside. But why would we be surprised when the world hates us? We get upset when local government or even the federal government takes some kind of action that's hostile to believers. And, and we act all like, oh. Okay, so the latest... Um, Uh, You may have heard uh, um, Cumulus Media is a big media conglomerate. They own, I don't know how many radio stations across the United States. One of them is uh, 760 right here. Um, And uh, the parent company, Cumulus, has essentially fired everybody who didn't get the vaccine. Fired. No religious exemption, no exemption, just fired. Uh, one of the syndicated hosts, Dan Bongino, um, who f- he, his show is in the same slot that Rush Limbaugh's used to be in. And Dan Bongino's a great guy. I mean, he's just a great guy. Um, they effectively canceled his show. Yesterday they did the equivalent of a best of, And I don't even know if they had his show on today. Uh, Dan Bongino. They canceled him. (laughs) Um, And see, here's the thing. And Dan Bongino is not preaching the gospel on 760 WJR. He's just a conservative guy who believes in, in freedom. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. And we're like, how can they do that? Or you post something on fake book, and um, they cover it over, or they take it down, or they put you in Facebook jail. And we're like, how can they do that? We should, we should, be, we should fight back against that kind of thing, but we shouldn't be surprised. We live in a fallen world. And it's not like those who um, have antipathy towards God are going to feel neutral about us. There is no neutrality. It's a myth. We're either walking in God's direction or we're walking away from God or we're completely his and we've given our entire heart and life to him or... By default, we're serving Satan, but there is no neutrality. But he says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. The world, I'm going to read my notes here, and you'll want to take a few notes, those of you who do, because I'm going to give you some uh, references to other passages uh, that I would encourage you to look up to augment this study. The world is, and I'm emphasizing temporarily, temporarily, under the jurisdiction of Hasatan, the adversary, temporarily. He is alternately referred to as the ruler of this world, John 16, 11. He's called the ruler of this world. Yeshua called him that. He's called the God of this world, small g, by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's also called by Uh, Rabbi Paul, the prince of the power of the air. As far as cumulus media is concerned, definitely. Prince of the power of the airwaves. (laughs) Um, Ephesians 2.2. Now those references, especially taken together with Romans 8.22, and I'm going to read that, show why the world is so broken and so full of strife and dishonesty and greed and hatred and violence. Romans 8.22 says this, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The whole world has been suffering since the time of the fall. The world is presently held captive to the evil one, and is influenced by him. So, the hateful and violent behavior that we hear about on the news, uh, it should come as no surprise. Should it break our hearts? Should we mourn? Yes. Yes. I believe that's what Yeshua meant, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Not just mourning because somebody I love passed away, mourning the the, the horrible, fallen, violent condition of this world that was created with such beauty. That with the capacity to do so much good, mankind just seems to perpetuate evil. We should mourn, but we shouldn't be surprised. But the fact that we have been redeemed out of this world's system makes us objects of scorn. One of the movies, I think, that has so many really biblical themes, whether they meant to do it or not, is The Matrix. Once you're freed from The Matrix, freed from bondage, you then become a target of the agents of the system. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became, you, you effectively put a target on for this world. I believe it's important that when we're sharing the gospel with people, that we tell them the whole truth, that we not try to sugarcoat it or play down the, the the rigors that are involved you you know when you follow Jesus you can't just do anything you want whenever you want you're now called to a godly higher standard of living to a standard of integrity and honesty to a standard of kindness and love toward others toward generosity I mean it, and the last thing you want to tell somebody is you know once you become a follower of Yeshua, your whole life is going to be better and people are going to love you and it's going to be all peaches and cream. And quite honestly, I'm kind of glad that the night that I gave my life to Jesus, which was 40 years ago this past March, that uh, I didn't know the half of what I was getting myself into in terms of the struggle, the the. The opposition that I would face, the accusations hurled at me as a Jew believing in Jesus. So I try to tell people look, you know, before you make this decision, you need to know what this entails. Because there's there's eternal life, which is the greatest gift of all, but there's also a lot of other benefits that come with it. A sense of discernment, greater wisdom an appreciation for for the scriptures. I mean, there's a lot of good things, but there's also difficulty. Some people are going to accuse you of everything under the sun. Some people will stop inviting you to their parties once they find out you're one of them. People might murmur at work when they think you don't hear them. Friends will stop associating with you. Your own family may turn on you. We need to let people know that there's a cost in following the Lord, but that it's worth it. We need to tell people: look, if you're not up for that, if you are absolutely depending on other people approving of you, you're not cut out for this. If you can't handle a little disapproval, if you can't handle a little verbal insult. You're not cut out for this. Um, so, all right, I'm off my soapbox, all right. But the point, the point here is that the world is not going to say, oh, that's, that's nice. They're going to come against you. Um, we represent Messiah Yeshua, so it's going to make us targets, objects of scorn. And because we represent Messiah and he represents God and God represents righteousness, holiness, purity, goodness, the world doesn't want to be reminded of that. The world, marinating in sin, doesn't want to be told there's another way. Doesn't want to be told this is wrong. Here's the way to do what's right. Doesn't want that. The world doesn't want to be reminded of judgment. There's a coming judgment. And it's a final judgment. The world doesn't want to hear that. So it has always been open season on Jesus' people. Hence, John tells us not to be surprised that the world hates us. All right, verses 14 and 15. I don't know, Rabbi Jerry, you think I might even finish the chapter tonight? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know, you know. The verb no, gnosis, appears 11 times just in this chapter. Remember the big picture of this letter? What's the big picture of this letter? You've got these arrogant false teachers coming into the midst of the congregations, sowing division by contradicting the apostles' teachings, leading people astray with their enticement that, hey, you can have this higher deeper knowledge that only a few of us get to have. I'll teach you about it if you'll let me be your your guide. Don't listen to them. That's what was going on. And so, you know, they were leading people astray with their claim to greater knowledge, gnosis. In this instance, John tells us how to know we have been saved from eternal death, to know that we have eternal life. So you're going to hear that word no a lot. One of the tests of genuine faith, and it was earlier in this letter as well, one of the tests, how, how you know, if I'm going to do a litmus test of my own life, <laughs> you know, what's a good barometer? How can I know that I have eternal life? Do you love the brethren? That is one of the surest signs that you are in the faith, that you just, you love the brethren. And again, it's more than fuzzy feeling. It's you are willing to do what needs to be done to help your brothers and sisters. You are willing to be inconvenienced. But that is one of the tests of genuine faith. We love our brothers and sisters in Yeshua. Not mere feelings, but genuine love that seeks the very best for others. Love that meets practical needs. Love that's willing to be inconvenienced. But again, there seems to be no such thing as a middle path, right? Death, life, love, hatred, life, murder. There seems to be no such thing as a a middle path, a third way. All right, let's go on to verse 16. We know love by this. Here it is again. We know. He's... He's putting, he's putting in the face of these proto-Gnostics who claimed to know, have deeper, higher knowledge. He's putting it right back. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, you know, it's pretty safe bet that if you're not willing to even do simple little things to help and love your brothers and sisters, you're certainly not going to lay down your life for them. On the other hand, perhaps through the Holy Spirit you get courage in that moment of time to literally lay down your life for someone, but chances are if you're not willing to be inconvenienced For a brother or sister. If you have no love. For your brothers and sisters. And that includes affection. Then. That litmus test is telling you. You may not be in the faith. You need to examine yourself. And if you aren't. You need to surrender yourself to the Lord. Through Messiah Yeshua. He laid down his life for us. The way I heard it put. By a biker buddy of mine. He died for me. I'll live for him. But it's easier said than done. Because living for him means living for each other, helping each other, loving each other. And that means that one of these each others might be calling you up. I need you to, I gotta talk. Can we talk? It's like you are right in the middle of some big project. Hey, can you can you help me move? Or can you help me? I got this thing. I gotta. It's too heavy for me. I need to take it, move it to a different room. Can you help me? Oh, you know, um, my car broke down, but I really want to get to the congregation. Any chance I could catch a ride with you? I mean, this is how we are tested. And the thing is, and there's another cool thing I saw that somebody said somewhere. Those interruptions, that's not an interruption. That's what God wants you to do. It's like, this. look, this is, I'm, doing, I'm doing this thing. And this, this call comes. Somebody needs your help, right? That's God saying, this is what I want you to do right now. It's not an interruption, it's an assignment. You can get back to whatever the thing you're doing. This is an an assignment. Now I'm saying this and I just know God is gonna test me on this. I just know it. Um, But really, um, this is how we show our love. And it's not just the brethren. Love your neighbor as yourself. Means basically love everybody else as yourself. Um, and now I'm going to make a quick little announcement because I'll forget if I don't. And it's related to this. Jennifer, uh, Jennifer wanted me to announce something. You know how we we have our Jesus made me kosher T-shirts? We're ordering Jesus made me kosher zip up hoodies. Now, those hoodies are great. I will tell you that I wear it like five times more often than I wear the T-shirt because this is Michigan. It's not always T-shirt weather, you know. Um, But I'll put on one or two shirts, and then I can put on the Jesus Made Me Kosher hoodie, and I can be a walking billboard. Well, we're putting in an order. They're going to be white with blue lettering. It'll say, Jesus Made Me Kosher up here in smaller letters, and on the back, Jesus made me kosher in big letters. And I will tell you, these these things have enabled me to have so many gospel conversations with people. So here's the thing. Thanksgiving Day Parade is coming up. We always send a team out to just be witnesses at the parade. There's tens of thousands of people. We walk around, we hand out tracts, we just spread goodwill and good cheer, and we wear our Jesus Made Me Kosher uh, hoodies. Um, we're going to put in an order. It's going in Monday, and uh, they will be here on the Shabbat before the uh, parade. If we can get 12, if we can purchase 12, the cost will be 35 If we come up short of 12, we pay $40 each. We have nine so far ordered. So if you were thinking you like that Jesus made me kosher uh, message and you want to do what I do, I I wore my hoodie tonight on the motorcycle. Um, If you want to order one of those hoodies, tell me tonight. I'll let Jennifer know and she'll put you on that list. Three more people and, and we get $5 off each. Honestly, I would like it if... 30, 40 people from Shema ordered these things. They're, they're so good. And if you're like me, I'm a little shy about starting conversations with, with strangers. I, I like to talk as you have figured out, but I'm a little shy about breaking the ice. That message breaks the ice every time. That's, that's so cool. What does that mean? Or even if they don't think it's cool, what does that mean? For somebody like me, who's a little shy, it, it, it enables that conversation. So we need three more. Talk to me before I leave. And yes, you're welcome, Jennifer. <laughs> she says, if anyone wants one, uh, please email your name, size, and phone number to the following email address, info at shema.com. Okay, so Jennifer would just need your name, phone number, and the size you want. Alright, what triggered that is um, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We are out there representing wherever we go. You know, if you do stop and help somebody who's got a flat tire, make sure you let them know you love Jesus and you want you're just wanted to help because that's what Jesus would do and and uh, and ask him, how are things between you and God? You're, change- you're helping change his tire. What's he going to do? Say, shut up. No, you're, you're helping change the tire. Over the years, and maybe to the detriment of my back, I've helped a few people push their cars that had died off the road and into the nearest parking lot or gas station. As often as not, I'm wearing either my, my colors, my, Jesus, you know, Lion of Judah, Jesus's Lord colors, or Jesus made me kosher or something. Um, so that the good I'm doing goes to him, right? He's the reason I did this. One time I, uh, I was in my car and I was on Heinz Drive and a couple of motorcyclists had broken down, or one of them had broken down, um. There were two others with them, and they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to come and 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 get them. Um, I uh, stopped, checked out what was going on. I said, "You know what? Let me let me give you some protection here." I put my SUV about twenty five feet, maybe twenty to twenty five feet. Put my flashers on to blow, to basically give them some shielding. And I got to talk to them about the Lord. Okay. We're always representing. Okay. All right, let's go on. Verses 17 and 18. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. I'm convicted by this. Our brother, Matthew, who comes here to Shema, who doesn't, who can't drive, uh, put a thing on Facebook that he's needing a ride. It's up to Flint. I can't remember when it is, but anyway, if anybody has some time is able to do that, um, I got to go back and see when that is. But whoever has the world's goods, in this case, if you have a car, because he can't drive, but he needs to get from point A to point B. Whoever has the world's goods, whether it's food, finances, resources, what have you, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. That's the definition of love. Not warm fuzzies, but commitment to help. Willingness to be inconvenienced for somebody else's sake. Doing for somebody else what you would hope if you were in that circumstance somebody would do for you. That's what love is. That's what real love is. By the way, there's an expression that Yeshua used um, in the course of his teaching. He talked about the eye is the lamp of the body. Do you remember He said that the the eye is the lamp of the body. If therefore the eye is good, your body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, you'll be filled with darkness. And how great is that darkness? He wasn't talking about human eyesight. He was talking about the good eye versus the evil eye. And the evil eye isn't the same thing as somebody giving you the stink eye. (laughs) The good eye was a Jewish expression for being generous, a person who's generous with what they have, willing to help. The evil eye is the person who is selfish, stingy, and unwilling to help. That's what the good eye and the evil eye meant in first century Israel when Yeshua said it. Okay, Whoever has the world's goods sees his brother's in need and closes his heart against him. That's what it means to have an evil eye to close your heart against somebody that you see is in need and you're in a position to help. Verses 19 through 22. Are we feeling convicted yet? Okay. (laughs) Here it is again. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. how do you how do you get that diagnostic how do you get that that barometer check you know what's the barometer of genuinely being in the faith your willingness to help others with your goods your resources your time your skills right we will know by this that kind of love in action we will know by this that we are of the truth And we'll assure our heart before him and whatever our heart condemns us, right? Because we mess up, we sin, but it's not the way we live. But if you know that you love people and are willing to help people and willing to do things for people, that's how your heart is assured that you're really in the truth. Because this world couldn't care less, especially about strangers if you're willing to love on a stranger by helping in their time of need, this is one of the ways you just know that you're in the Lord. Because that doesn't come naturally. Love for strangers, love for especially those who have no love for you, that doesn't come naturally. That's supernatural. It's one of the ways that you, am I in the faith, Lord? Am I in the faith? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, We have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, lest anybody would say, oh, so now we got to start keeping the Torah because it says because we keep his commandments. Uh, Verse 23 kind of settles this. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Yeshua the Messiah, and love one another just as he commanded us. It's not about Picayuni keeping of 613 separate commandments governing this, that, and the other thing. Yeshua told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the Torah and the prophets depend on those two commandments. Do you love the Lord? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? This is how you know. Finally, verses 23 and 24. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Yeshua the Messiah, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know, there it is again, we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We have that witness of the Holy Spirit within us that we really are in the faith. Not that we're perfect, but we are in the faith. All right. Well, it doesn't look like they're having a music rehearsal tonight, or if they what's that? oh, they're back there, okay, so I guess we can all right, I'm sorry, I went a little long, but uh normally, I would like to be able to have some q and a here but um because I know some of you especially come a very long way um, but anyway, let me pray, and uh again, if if you would like to order one of the Jesus Made Me Kosher zipper hoodies, um, just email Jennifer, info at shema.com is the email address. Let her know, name, phone number, size. Um, and that would be great. Lord God, thank you so much. The only reason we love is because you first loved us. And so from soup to nuts, we give you the glory for everything. We thank you for your love for us and that you demonstrated that love in the most sacrificial way by sending your son, Messiah Yeshua, and not just sending him into this dark and fallen and hostile world, but sending him so that he might give his life in our place, the righteous one, for we the unrighteous. Thank you for that love. We don't pretend, Lord God, that we have even a fraction of that kind of love, yet you call us to love one another. Please help us to do that. Help us not just meet needs as they're made known to us. Help us be on the lookout for others in need. Thank you for our evening together, Lord. We bless your name, B'Shem Yeshua, in Jesus' name. Amen.